passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our post-wrestling AEW Full Gear Review. I am John Pollock, joined, as always, by Waiting from the Waiting Palace. How, how are you, Way? I'm doing okay, John. Here we are. Midnight. Here we are. Full gear. All That's clothed it. up. Are you all full of the gear? Um, I'm, I'm all full of uh, a lot today. It was a very, very long day, very long evening, and here we are to chat about a, a lengthy, a lengthy pay per view from AEW. I mean, as we expected, you know, pretty as we expected. One time, this, this was this was standard fare when it came to uh, lengthwise. But here we are uh, on the air at midnight, and we are going to be going through all of the action from the Kia Forum in Inglewood, California, and I guess the way they had. You know, quite a bit of a walk up um, in the final day because WrestleTix was noting as it got closer to the show that they were closing in on about 12,000 tickets out. So good movement the last couple of days. Don't know if this will get them. Um, as of Thursday, they were around $900,000 for the gate. Um, we'll see how much it. I would be surprised if they got to the million mark. But if they did, I'm sure Tony Khan will disclose that at the press conference. But enough to qualify this as a success. Oh, this was a successful event. To do 12,000 people at the forum, I would I'd be very, very happy with that number. And doing another uh, four to 5,000 the night before as well for Collision and Rampage. That said, um, and granted, I understand. We, we talk a lot about the amount of wrestling that is out there. For these Saturday night AEW pay-per-views, the three-hour AEW uh, presentation, I mean, dude, I... I, I caught up on Collision and Rampage, and it was just, it was so much AEW wrestling in a 24-hour period. And maybe mm. part of that is on me, who uh, watched the uh, all of it today. But it was, uh, <laughs> that was a lot. It was a lot of AEW, of one specific product of where I watched about eight hours worth. It's sort of the name of the game, isn't it? Produce more and more and more and hope people buy it. Well, that is it. Are you ready to dive into tonight's show well first of course i want to welcome everybody watching us live over at youtube.com slash post wrestling of course wait we have viewers i thought we were just chatting here i have no idea hello out there millions of people here storming out of the kia forum all around the world as they watch us talk about the show that they just uh, uh spent five hours maybe eight hours watching so uh we of course do this after every wwe and after every AEW pay-per-view also after every raw dynamite 
even SmackDown, for those of you supporting us over at the Post Wrestling Cafe, which is uh, how we run our ship. So if you really like the show, please like and subscribe to the channel. But also, if you really like us, consider signing up at postwrestlingcafe.com. Yes, a $6 subscription gives you a month's access of the cafe with multiple bonus shows each and every week. I believe we put out three this week, uh, many more to come uh, as we round out November, including this week we did Wrestle Kingdom 10 on Rewind Away. And by the end of the month, we will be putting out one more covering ECW December to Dismember from December oh, of 2006. So the uh, the highs and lows of professional wrestling history all covered on Rewind Away. And this coming Thursday, it's a new Ask Away mailbag show. So if you are out there and you want to submit your questions, get them in by Thursday at forum.postwrestling.com. There's a thread that you can always submit questions to. Any and all topics, welcome. Or you can send in your wonderful voice so you can be heard on the show, memo.fm slash postwrestling. It is free to send a voice message with your question Include your name and city, and we will get to it on the show. We answer all of your questions. That's coming out this Thursday, postwrestlingcafe.com. And for the love of God, hit the subscribe button on this YouTube channel. It takes you two seconds to hit subscribe. Every Not, not even two seconds. Are you kidding me? It's like half a millisecond. I bet, people, you could do it um, in a, a, a half of a microsecond. But every time you hit subscribe... There is a sound effect that goes off in Way's house, okay? It's like angels singing. So please give him the gift of the subscription number and uh, and hit it now. There's uh, the easiest thing you could do. Yeah. Sounds like, oh. That, exactly. That, it's like this like. choir that uh, welcomed Christian into the uh, arena tonight. All right. Let's get into the show, starting off with Zero Hour. That took place uh, not zero hours ago, but many, many ago. Eddie Kingston, Jay Lethal for the ROH Championship. This was made on Friday, and we knew Jay Lethal would be getting the title shot, and they put it here on the zero hour. And we have Excalibur, Tony Schiavone, Nigel McGuinness, and Stokely Hathaway on commentary. And Kingston is uh, beaten down on the floor. You see Jared and Dutt getting involved. They do the strut with Jared, including a Jackie Fargo reference from Nigel. And then it's Kingston. Uh, being hit with an overhead belly-to-belly into the corner. They trade chops. There's a lethal combination, two attempts for lethal before hitting a top rope elbow drop. And then the lethal injection is caught by Kingston, hits the Saito suplex, and then a Hase-style Urinagi turns onto Sanjay Dutt, who's on the apron, sends him off. And then Karen and Singh get onto the apron, distracting the referee, and lethal is crawling for the guitar as Kingston gouges at his eye and Ortiz pops up. And this is how... um, one of the AEW shows uh, fe- featured these two uh, reconnecting on on Friday night. And Ortiz takes the guitar away, nails Dutt over the head, which was the first big pop, I would say, of the match. They were in a really tough spot here, I think, in the first match on the pre-show. But this guitar shot got a big reaction. Lethal injection is turned into a half-and-half half suplex, and Kingston hits the Urican for the win in 10 minutes and 55 seconds. Um, I thought this was like a fine, you know, zero hour match, but I did find it disappointing as a an Eddie Kingston match, and I found it disappointing as an ROH title match. Um, like this could have been the main event of next month's ROH pay per view, and instead, it's the opener on the pre show. That I don't know if this show needed this. 
in terms of just the slotting of the ROH championship. I mean, it's it's okay to have, you know, a showcase for Ring of Honor, but I wouldn't have had this style of match for an Eddie Kingston ROH title defense as a showcase match for Ring of Honor. This was a lot more, you know, what you're getting with the Lethal and, and, and Jarrett crew with just, you know, a lot of interferences, pretty low on in-ring content, I would say. Um, and that's fine for even something like a Memphis Street fight on TV. But in my opinion, I think if you're trying to promote a title match, especially one that was built to from that street fight i think it needed more of that like traditional like eddie kingston you know sort of like fiery type of like you know seriousness and this was not to me that advertisement that i think honor club needed yeah i can't say it was a memorable match by the end of the night like a fine match for the pre-show i guess are you looking at your roh title to just be a fine match on the pre-show and that's sort of it I, i think this one would be less um You'd have less of an issue for it if it was just a straight up singles match and not it, it's the ongoing debate of like your ROH championships. And at this point, it's it's not even the main ROH championship when the MJF story is attached to the tag belts. Ortiz is out. He's got the murder ball to keep the others out. So probably some mixing and matching there with Kingston having backup in the form of Ortiz. And I guess a question mark on Mike Santana, like he wins this feud with Ortiz and then disappears. After the comeback, it's not that unusual in AEW. It happens I mean, a lot. Yeah, um, I mean, for one thing, this was a feud exclusively on Rampage, and I don't think we really got much follow up on any of the other shows regarding it. And uh, now, no future plans for, or at least they're waiting for maybe after the pay per view. We can hope. And then Eddie Kingston, talking to the viewer at home, takes the mic and just says, "Hey, we got a lot of shit up next." And thanks to the people of L.A. And there was a lot of shit still to come on this show. The man was not lying. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Claudio Castagnoli against Buddy Matthews, another match that was made on Friday. This after Buddy Matthews beat Wheeler Yuta. So this was our, our rematch between the House of Black and BCC. Claudio just runs into a runs around the ring and is caught with a flying forearm and big knee strike. And you saw Claudio constantly going for the giant swing and Buddy Matthews would have a response to it. And this audience wanted to see the swing. Like early on, especially, they were just into the signature moves and and stars. And mm-hmm. you, you sort of had to have that, that battle with, with the crowd early on until we just got into the insane portion of the card where it was just what am I watching and could I be arrested for being a party to this? (laughs) Yes. So he finally gets the swing crowd goes nuts here. And then there's headbutts on the turnbuckle by Claudio and Matthew slips out, lands three cheeky Nando's kicks and a sunset bomb deadlift jackhammer by Matthews. Like this was a very well wrestled match. It was just, you know, it was in the, in the pre-show position, but um, very strong stuff here. Claudio deadlifts him onto the shoulders into a TKO and then lands a Ricola bomb into the sharpshooter. And Matthews is fighting for the rope is pulled to the center and submits in 10 minutes and 28 seconds. So, after Friday and Saturday, we have a 1-1 one, one tie between the House of Black and Blackpool Combat Club that will probably go many matches deep. And Claudio gestures for a handshake, and Matthew says, F that. We've got a program to work. And keeps he's like, Jericho and Takeshita, well, what's the point of shaking hands? We're, we got a blood feud to continue here. The code of honor sometimes is is a big deal, and sometimes it's not a big deal. And as opposed to Buddy Matthews, it was not tonight. Action was very good here. Uh, pretty low on crowd reaction, I would say. You know, to your mm-hmm. point, on I mean, 
crowd wanted stars and in relation to the rest of the card these two are third members of of their factions respectively and there aren't really stakes attached to it so and matthews himself hasn't really had much time to build his presence on these shows so but it was a good solid match fine for a, a kickoff and then the featured match of the zero hour mjf and his 24-hour notice partner Samoa Joe against the Guns for the ROH tag titles. Huge pop for MJF coming out, and he's in the Laker colors, got a 365 on the robe, and Nigel calls him desperate by pandering to this crowd. Nigel had a tremendous broadcast. Oh, I love the fact that he was on like the entire show. Um, I think he actually works well as a member of a three-man booth with Taz. I think the two of them offered something different on color. Um, he's He's great. He's probably got the quickest wit of, mm-hmm. of any broadcaster, I would say, going at the moment. Yeah. MJF spits at Austin Gunn's direction on the apron. And uh, the best part was Austin, like, took a bump off of this spit spot on the apron. <laughs> and uh, dude, the guns are, in particular, Austin. Like, he's later when they do the ejection spot in the main event. Like, the heels always oversell it. But the guns, yeah. it was like a 20 on a scale of 1 to 10. Like, yeah. they're, like, falling over. Like, they're just... They're they're comically great frat great. boys. They are great frat boys. Yes. Yeah. So Joe is Joe was really entertaining in this match. He's just playing the compliant tag partner who is there to assist MJF. And then you've got MJF screaming at Joe. I don't need your help. I was like, wait a minute. That's the whole purpose of you giving this guy a title shot is because of the fact you understand you need his help. That's literally the story here. There is no other reason for Joe to be here other than you need help. I guess I just took it as maybe like, you know, he's reluctantly welcoming someone Joe to, to sit, stand on the apron, but he, he doesn't want to. I mean, it's also to just drive a bit of tension between the two, right? Well, the guns take over, they get the heat on MJF and then Joe is in and he goes for the muscle buster, but MJF tags in. He wants to do, deliver his own muscle buster, but Colton stops it and then avoids the 310 to Yuma and it's MJF with the double DDT and the kangaroo kick. But before he can hit it, Joe tags and the crowd boos. And part of me is thinking is like, this is so um, the antithesis of this character, but if Joe started hopping around for the kangaroo kick, this place was going to go unglued, but that was not the case. They then <laughs> MJF and Joe go for stereo muscle busters, but the, the timing was quite off here because MJF lifts um, his gun and then Joe just turns around. He's like, Oh, we're doing the muscle buster spot. So he turns around and then grabs him and they continue here, but they avoided the muscle busters. There's a three ten to Yuma on Joe, but MJF pulls Colton to the floor, saving Joe and then Adam Cole's music plays, and out comes Cole on crutches. And this distraction leads to the Coquina clutch. Colton submits 926, and MJF gives a big hug to Adam Cole. MJF and Joe shake hands, and then they explain if MJF leaves as AEW champion tonight, Joe gets his title shot. So he didn't he... even have to win this match. As long as he left as champion, he gets his title shot, they explained. Right. Well, I mean, the agreement was always just join me for the match, right? He didn't have to retain the tag titles. He didn't. But the whole purpose was you've you've got to protect me as well, which plays into the story here. But this was a I'll just say Joe really like kind of just 
got a title shot with like very little that he had to go out of his way to do tonight. I disagree. I mean, he actually had to wrestle. He actually had to, you know, he wrestled a nine minute match. He took off. He let this guy get hospitalized with a destroyed knee, but that's never helped him in the main event. Well, well, he's he already has what he wants. So what what need does he have to continue? He doesn't, though. He's got to keep the title. Oh, okay. So you're saying, okay, yeah, Joe has to protect this guy so that he keeps the title. I mean, I think that's kind of bullshit. Like, if MJF lost the match tonight, like Joe should have still been guaranteed a title match, you know, against. Um, but MJF uh, isn't Jay the White. champion. The champion Jay White. No, hasn't I'm made saying. That I'm saying. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, wait. Listen, this is this, the story. I'm just explaining what the story is. Sure, I can see your point. I, I totally can. I mean, uh, when you think about it deep enough, yeah, the logic might be a bit flawed. Why didn't Samoa Joe come out to protect MJF tonight, or anybody, you know, who who's in line for a title shot? Um. I'm glad he didn't come out tonight because I th- thought there was enough going on um, in the main event. Oh, we'll get to so. all of the all of the um, the side stories to the main event. But the guns attack MJF. This is after Joe has left, and Cole is left there to watch as they attack him with chair shots to the left knee, wrap it around his leg, and come off uh, pilmanizing the knee. And then they have to stretcher MJF out, and we get MJF yelling, "Adam!" and he pleads to Adam Cole not to let them take his championship and Cole promises as the ambulance takes off to end the zero hour portion. And we're left with the uh, complications of this main event and Adam Cole left to figure out how can I keep this title from the guy that's been taken off to the hospital Mm -hmm. by the pay-per-view. Yeah. First of all, the match, um, I, I actually was quite impressed with the match, you know, for a tag team match on the pre-show involving the guy in the main event, this was not MJF really taking it easy or relying on, you know, just sort of like baby face parody tricks like he did at the Wembley match. This was a pretty full on match that demanded a lot of, of the both of them, but Samoa Joe in particular, I thought really impressed, you know, his charisma is so excellent and it was very much in, in a baby face like way tonight, you know, where, um, he's using, he's just like taking that cocky sort of like walk away spot. And he's exa- he's just basically like amplifying it so that his entire character is basically that spot. And it's been so effective. So um, Joe feels really hot coming out of this. And already he almost kind of feels like a baby face. So the, the, the match will be really interesting to see what they build up to. The angle is, I thought, really really unique as well. And it, and it was like, it's something that I was watching and feeling, okay, this is different. This is like a different risk for AEW. I saw a lot of negative reaction to it immediately. I was at least willing to leave an open mind till the end of the show to see if it was worthwhile. And um, I guess we'll give our grade a bit later, but I was at least curious to see that they were going to use the zero hour in, in like a very sort of um, important way, you know, to lead to the main event. I didn't think there was a chance they were screwing you on this main event that they've sold you on for two months. But at the same time, if you're somebody that maybe is, you know, you're just watching this and they shoot this angle and you're like, this is a tease of like, we're, we're changing the main event around. And we know this, this dude, Adam Cole's legit injured and such. Like you might have some bands that are just not, um, it was it was certainly a different way to go about it where the hook is you might not get the main event that we have been building up for all of these months yeah at the very least i think you know any sort of train wrestling fan was 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 probably of the belief that some some surprise was going to take place in in the main event so that might have been some sort of attraction or it would have been a big turnoff to some people as well so the pay-per-view begins uh 
big video package going over the key programs. And then we have this children's choir on the stage and they are, and they are singing the hymn from the book of Christian and out comes cage with Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne. And this entrance was fantastic. Such a great entrance. I, this was amazing. Obviously like, you know, anything involving kids and Christian cage um, is completely perfect. And this rendition of his theme music with the children's choir, all of them wearing turtlenecks was uh, absolutely hilarious. Wonderful, wonderful entrance. It was a great entrance. Then Ric Flair came out. And then we see a shot of three aluminum bats joined in unison. And out come Sting, Darby, and Adam Copeland to Alter Bridge. And they are all donning base paint for the night, including Adam Copeland, who, um, I don't know, based on this paint job, I'm thinking that he thought of this like 15 minutes before the pay-per-view and just did a quick rush job here. This was, really? uh, if you go in close, it was, uh, it looked like a first time effort on, on his part, uh, to I, do this. I mean, I, I feel like you're maybe speaking of the smearing and I have to imagine that that was sort of like intentional effect, you know, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if like Darby maybe did it for him. Or I, I, I thought it was cool. Anytime like you have these sort of like people that are just lumped together, uh, and they make some sort of effort to actually wear matching gear, um, in matching face paint in this case. I mean, I always like it. It's like the uh, the 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 three generations of at the family reunion, That's all dressing it. up together. Mm-hmm. So we get, go into the six man, and the crowd keeps singing uh, Copeland's theme after it ends. I don't think uh, he's ever experienced this. He was very impressed. He's applauding the crowd, and Darby and Wayne start off the match. Big pop when Sting is tagged in, and he throws Wayne upside down into the guardrail. I just want to say this about Nick Wayne. This guy wrestles so far beyond his years. He has such a poise about him that. You know, he's still going to have improvements to make and certainly like filling out body wise. But he I think this heel run is going to do him a lot of good. And you can just see the I I am certain that he is gaining tons of um, help and experience working with a Christian cage on a weekly basis and with, with advice. And it just to me in this match, I thought he's he's clicking in the in this role and for somebody as young as he is i think it's it was very notable in a match that he could have greatly been overshadowed in star wars young and inexperienced in this sort of like tv pro wrestling you know he he's really impressed me for sure when he did the strut right in front of rick flair it's just a great spot and uh, mm-hmm. and rick flair who i don't even know if rick flair would necessarily know who who this guy is yet but maybe so um sting tags in Adam with Christian and the crowd loses it. They think they're going to see these guys lock up, but then cage immediately tags out. He's booed and Luchasaurus lifts and choke slams Darby onto the edge of the apron. Shivani yells on behalf of everyone. What are we doing? And then explains that tonight Darby has a red eye flight to go climb Mount Everest. Okay. He's doing it. He's doing it tomorrow. Well, however long it takes him to get there, like maybe there's um like a don't you have to train period? Like maybe it's like a couple days of preparation. I don't know what goes into climbing Mount Everest. I've never looked into this. But don't you have to train like a year or something to to do something like that? He's, he's been training for a couple weeks, months. So could could they mean that that he's taken up to to prepare to to do the training? He he just said he's going to climb Mount Everest. He didn't say he's going to train. They didn't say he's going to a prep point. He they said he's right. going to climb Mount Everest. Well, good luck to him. So he's been pra- practicing by taking uh, slams onto steel steps and nitro circus. Nigel compares Darby to an amiable T-1000. 
Uh, this is when we get the strut spot with uh, with Nick Wayne in front of Ric Flair. And then Cage yanks Adam to the floor and posts him as Sting then chases after him. He runs into Luchasaurus. Darby tags in Copeland. Cage just runs away. And we get a military press of Nick Wayne to the floor. Luchasaurus catches him. And there's Darby with a somersault through the ropes as Sting does a clothesline off the apron, clearing Flair and hitting the targets. Copeland then goes for a spear. It's stopped by Luchasaurus, and we get a double-team Scorpion death drop with an elbow by Copeland off the turnbuckle. Flair yells at Christian, who the fuck are you? And he gets into it with Christian, and Christian low blows Ric Flair. And there were, um, this was our first of many, many ball shots on the on this show. They were in high 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 quantities and a belt shot misses this nails luchasaurus and then copeland chases cage as he races into the crowd and christian abandons his team and luchasaurus is left there to take a spear from copeland coffin drop and copeland gets the pin in 15 minutes and 10 seconds rick is in to celebrate and then darby says god damn it it stings last time wrestling here in california make some fucking noise he was not happy with this crowd reaction for the post match and stings on the floor Hanging out with his son. I I don't know if I've ever seen Sting's son. This is a Sting's son, Stang, and uh, just <laughs> taking in the show. I wonder if he stayed for the whole uh, four hours of the main show, or if he was just a uh, in and out. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to look uh, very closely. Maybe he was sitting next to Rick Rubin and just wanted to chat. For for um, Sting matches, this was certainly a toned down one for Sting. Like he was not, mm-hmm. you know, he had his like. High cross off the up the apron. I, love, I, I mean, the man did do a, a dive off the apron at the age of sixty something, sixty five. But I, I know what you mean. Yes, at this point, we're kind of used to Sting diving off of balconies, you know, and and doing shit a bit crazier than this on pay per view. Um, yes, it was a little bit toned down, but listen, like the man's going to be a lot more active. I sense, you know, over the next few months, if not even weeks, and I'm perfectly happy and satisfied with, I think, the effort that we got here. It was more than what we got on TV. You know, he did a big dive, and, and I thought the rest of the match was perfectly satisfying. Considering the median age of the participants in this match, I thought everybody was used like to really great effect here. You know, as expected, you had Darby and maybe Nick Wayne taking most of the action, but everybody else kind of pulled their weight, you know, in, 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 in what they could do. Christian, in particular, I thought was outstanding in the match. He's able to generate so much reaction from this crowd by doing so little and i thought they did such a great job of building and taking away those adam copeland christian interactions to the point where they really gave nothing away but they just really amplified the hype for it it was a good tease of keeping those two separate while still being in the match together it was a good opener i will say after this this match and i don't know how many subsequent appearances might change this feeling rick flair felt like he would have been on a nice one week appearance for Sting. I just don't see yeah. it's a weird role to have him in. And it's just mm-hmm. it's not novel. I don't need to see him getting doing physicality at this age with, with Christian or anyone for that matter. I don't think he adds a whole lot to the Sting presentation. And if anything, I, I think it almost detract like Sting is a strong enough commodity that I just don't know if you need Sting um having a sidekick uh mm-hmm. for the remaining months. Um that's not Darby Allen. So I would agree, unless they have plans of Flair turning on Sting and bring somebody in, you know, to, mm. to tell some sort of story, right? You know, so like Flair accompanying somebody to oppose Sting I, is a potential direction they could go. And that would at least justify some of these early sort of team up interactions. Shivani brings out Bryce Remsburg and they have Jay White. 
and he complains about them playing the guns music instead of his. And Shivani explains MJF is injured. He cannot defend the title and the match has been canceled. And they go to give the title to Jay White when Adam Cole appears and he won't let him leave with MJF's title. So Adam Cole is going to defend the title instead. This is exactly what happened to UFC 295 when John Jones got hurt, uh, by the way. Um, this made absolutely no sense from multiple uh, ways. It makes no sense, no. Um, I guess it makes about as much sense as, like, um, what is it, like, MJF being able to recruit Samoa Joe to defend Adam Cole's championship? Yes, I guess so. Yeah. Though they did pretty much make it clear that the ROH, well, I won't say perfectly clear, but the impression you got is that MJF and Joe are not going to be continuing to defend these titles. This was a one-night thing that sure. Joe teamed with him. And MJ, and this was Adam Cole defending MJF's championship for him, which he would then give back to MJF. Well, you can loan right. titles, I guess, to people. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is definitely something that requires a lot of um, suspension of disbelief, and I think furthers, I, I mean, this is a a big topic of debate coming out of this show. This is what Punk should have done last year when he left uh, after (laughs) the suspension. He should have designated his champion while he was away. Right. But it continues, like, I think a big topic of debate regarding AEW at this point, and and especially this uh, MJF title run, and and that's sports entertainment style storytelling and angles, you know, especially in the body of the show. Again, at this point, I, I mean, I knew that they were just doing all of this to set something else up. And I have to think a lot of the audience did. Um, And I was just waiting to see what that surprise was, whether or not it would justify doing the angle earlier at this point. Um, The the thread of the show, it very much felt like a a raw during the attitude era, but Mm -hmm. with significantly better wrestling. Um, Like that's what this felt like the idea, like everything from, the guy's taken out on the ambulance and he makes the triumphant return and Adam Cole, we're going to tease his first match back when there's no possible way he's going to be wrestling. And like, this felt like a television episode on the pay-per-view. And I was at this point, okay with that, because I think, I think I, I give a lot of credit to the creatives involved here, like an MJF for understanding a lot of the tropes that have existed in professional wrestling, like the ambulance return, um, and I was just waiting to see how they, he would subvert that and turn that into something new. And we will give our um, takes on whether or not they managed to do that. Next up was Orange Cassidy with Hook in his corner against John Moxley, who had Wheeler Yuta as his second for the international championship. Uh, immediately they get into things and it's Moxley on offense. Claw, uh, Cassidy has to claw the back and gouge Moxley's eyes and kind of play to Moxley's um type of match here to uh to to beat him and responds with headbutts there's a big deep impact ddt and moxley is busted open and this was a this was quite the gusher for moxley but he would not take the honors uh on this particular paper just an also ran this is a paper guy by the end of the show uh orange cassidy blocks a death rider hits the stun dog and then after the red rum is applied by Orange Cassidy, Moxley reaches the corner pad, rips it off, and then the orange punch is caught with a cutter by Moxley. Follows with the gotch pile driver. Cassidy kicks out, and now Cassidy is getting down to business. The hands go in the pockets. He sidesteps as Moxley rams his head into the exposed buckle, and then Moxley is like out on his feet, shadow boxing here. And this would be where that person that Moxley wanted to be hired would be watching this and being like, is this, is this selling or is he, is he okay? What? What do you mean? Well, he was, he was playing. Oh, the concussion guy. Yes. Right. Anyway, 
Um, he was very good here. Gets rocked by an orange punch, but he's still standing. So he continues. Another orange punch. Then a third one. And Moxley goes down, but he's right back up. There's a roll-up. Crowd is getting very hot. He hits a fourth, fifth, and sixth orange punch before a beach break, which keeps Moxley down in 12 minutes and five seconds. Orange Cassidy gets his win by defeating John Moxley. The best friends are out. And then uh, Yuta bumps into Hook on the way out. So we're definitely getting to that match. But um, I, I thought this was great and not one that overstayed its time. I thought it was a really strong 12 minutes. And the last couple minutes were really tremendous stuff where they built up the orange punch. Yeah, of course, because, you know, they established that Moxley has somehow been able to whip this concussion has gave him magical brain healing powers. And he's now able to withstand one orange punch without even falling down. So it required six to beat him. So I thought that was like, you know, um, like a well-told sort of like four day long story. I agree. This was an excellent match, but I can't help but compare it to the last match that they had. And I I like the all-out main event more. I thought that match had more stakes attached to it. I mean, it was Cassidy not just defending the championship, but defending that uh, that really illustrious streak he had. It was also the main event. I also think the story, I mean, th- for this round, was was very quickly put together out of circumstance. Um, I think Cassidy, for his part, told a nice little story in his promos about wanting to avenge you know, his loss against the monster he couldn't slay. And Moxley played a great monster in this match. You know, he kept just wrestling as if like he was Brock Lesnar and kept pressing Cassidy to deliver more, almost like he was a very strict coach. And it allowed Cassidy this wonderful big comeback. Though I do question why Mox bled instead of Cassidy. You know, considering that, like, that was sort of like the visual you were left with in, at the end of their last match. And as the underdog, I don't think it made sense for Moxley to bleed instead of Cassidy here. Well, we can maybe uh, just take that quote and apply it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if John Moxley had to bleed in this match, but I mean, that's... Uh... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm saying if anybody had to bleed, it should have been the, the underdog. Tony Khan has officially made Adam Cole versus Jay White official for tonight, which... I don't know. It, it just, to me, it was like foolish. I think at least a part of this is to ger- generate like conversation online during the show from people that might not have been watching it. Again, what type of conversation was it generating? Was it the positive kind? Was it the kind that would have elicited somebody to buy the pay-per-view? I'm not sure. Uh, this is going to be a heavily debated like promotional tactic, I think, by the end of the show. And then they promote the Continental Classic that starts Wednesday. And the third addition to the field is Mark Briscoe joining Andrade and Brian Danielson. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. 
Americans. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Akaru Shida, timeless Tony Storm for the Women's Championship. Storm has her script, but she tears it up. She's going off book for this match. It's a shoot way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she, I, I think at least to signify that like this was going to be serious Tony Storm rather than like gimmick filled Tony Storm, like she she ripped up the script and immediately like started fighting hard, like like she would have you know used to before the gimmick. Well, Tony Storm's chest is already all marked up from the Amy Sakura match, so Sheeta goes after it and is nailing her with all of these chops, and we see Mariah May looking concerned in the back and. Storm just takes a bunch of these before she fire, finally fires back. She gets the shoe from Luther, and then Aubrey takes it away, but she has the second shoe that she uses, and this sets up a two-count. Strong Zero is hit by Sheeta. They have a big uh, strike exchange and a falcon arrow by Sheeta for a two-count. And then Sheeta lands on her ankle, and it's hurt, which prompts Storm to go for the ankle lock. And Sheeta gets to the rope, and her boot gets removed by Storm, and she tries to use the boot, but it's drilled. Uh, she gets drilled by Sheeta, and the boot goes flying. So Sheeta gets the kendo stick on the floor, is stopped by Luther, and kicks him low. Uh, so his, his ball is also compromised here, and then uses the kendo stick. And Storm grabs this metal plate from the tray that Luther has brought out, places it down the back of her pants, and then sets up a German suplex and the running hip attack. And she goes to do the hip attack when she realizes this, this metal object is too far down and she's got to readjust it. This might be the only character that this could work for because it just looks so silly. But um, this was Tony Storm hitting the hip attack with the foreign object and pins Sheeta in 10 minutes and 26 seconds to become a three-time AEW Women's Champion. I found the match a bit disappointing, John. Um, I to me didn't it didn't hit that high enough gear uh, that I, I think I expect of a pay per view level title match between you know two per, uh, athletes uh, of their caliber. I mean, I don't dislike the gimmickry at all. I'm a big fan of Timeless Tony Storm, but um, I kind of think on pay per view you need to deliver like a high enough in ring seriousness to leave people satisfied before you can throw in the shenanigans. And I felt like the finish was pretty much just all shenanigans and not enough, you know, quality back and forth, in my opinion. I, I thought it got goofy by the end with the, with the foreign object. Like it seems like it was someone like it was this clever idea that they had that just, I mean, the counter argument to that is that is the Tony storm character at this point. So it's almost like this is a consistent way for her to win this, but I agreed with you. I like, we had talked about how Sheeta would be handled by this audience and they were definitely into Tony storm, but it's not like they rejected Hikaru Sheeta either. It was like, they both had their favorites here, but they popped, which you're always going to pop for a big title change, which is what you got here. And if anything, I, I actually sensed a bit of apathy, like towards the beginning stages to both and i don't know if that's just because like crowd didn't know who to cheer for but it's i also not like tony storm was like this overwhelming like cult favorite that everyone is just in love with either like it was a yeah. good reaction but i wouldn't say it's like this thing that is just the, the next big thing in terms of a character that's just caught on in this unique way i also do really wonder if like on a pay-per-view crowds are expecting first and foremost high quality action rather than like the tv sort of gimmickry I could have used a cinder block somewhere in the middle of this. Um, well, rematch. Yeah. 
uh, right as Nigel McGuinness is, it seems like he's caught mid sentence, like legitimately saying, "Someone give Tony Storm her flowers," and they cut to Mariah May, who literally has flowers there, and the announcers pop because I don't think they were aware that this was going to segue so well. Um, so she celebrates with Tony Storm, and she is carried out by Luther, who hides the uh, the foreign object. Renee Paquette is with Eddie Kingston, who is setting his sights on the Continental Classic to make it the most prestigious tournament in the game. Look out, G1. So he's going to put his life's work on the line. He is going to defend his ROH and New Japan Strong Openweight titles on every match in the Continental Classic because the winner of the Continental Classic will be the Triple Crown winner with the ROH title, the New Japan Strong title, and the Continental Championship. A new championship. Yes, which we are merging on its first night. Now, my question here, this is like what Bellator does with its Grand Prix, where the champion enters and his belt is always on the line in a mm-hmm. single elimination tournament. Now, in a round robin tournament, Eddie Kingston could lose this title, but it doesn't mean that the cha- the last person to beat Eddie Kingston is going to advance out of the block. Right. Unless they make that a rule for the entire tournament. Every time this title is defended, it or every time somebody who's holding these championships is in one of these matches, it will have to be defended. But, but the other thing is, I mean, you can probably expect the booking to aid Eddie Kingston in probably not losing at all until he's in the finals. Yeah, like you could do that, but does that that kind of like it almost like I, I don't know. I feel maybe they will have to. I think Kingston's going to go undefeated. Well, does that kind of telegraph things in this tournament that you're just going to have this guy win his block? I mean, I don't know. Does the G1 isn't like having the champion in the G1 telegraphing that the champion's not going to win every year. If the wrestling is good and if the storytelling is good, people, people will, will suspend their disbelief enough to think that Eddie Kingston might lose and he could lose. So at the end of the broadcast, we had four of the 12 announced. Now I don't know if Tony Khan's going to announce more tonight at the press conference or maybe online, because you would want to have that whole field out there by Wednesday when you start this thing. Sure. Yeah. Or at least like the opening round matches, you know, or for, for the week. Well, it's all right? round robin. So we need to know the blocks, like who's in each block. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, but so so it's not a unification, but a triple crown. And I suppose there's like novelty in like, you know, ROH and New Japan and AEW being represented with this sort of triple crown championship. Uh, but they don't need another championship. Oh, I, I thought they should have multiple championships for this tournament. I think even the runners-up should have titles as well. Especially championships that um are really not that valuable overall. You know, like ROH is, I don't even know where it ranks in the scale of AEW championships. Probably like fifth, you know, under underneath like the international title at this point. And the New Japan Strong, same, you know, within the context of New Japan. But I guess it gives them a nice little... I don't know, gimmick to promote at the end of this. Ricky Starks and Big Bill against Roosh and Drillistico, FTR, Malachi Black, and Brody King in a ladder match for the AEW tag titles. Uh, Roosh is out and his son accompanies him. And uh, his son, I'm sure, got a got a front row seat to this uh, spectacle. All the sons is. get front row tickets tonight. That's right. That's right. I got to go sit with Stang. So, I mean, this was um, several of these guys came out with, um, you know, we've had good careers. Let's just 
cash in now. Well, pardon the pun because Wheeler was one of them. I bet you um, the, these these eight men um, had um, maybe adjacent um, locker rooms to Swerve and Paige and overheard some of the shit that they had planned. And they're like, OK, put us first. Um, we're we're going to at least try to get some of the conversation at the end of, the, of this show. See, that's the difference between me and the, and them, because if I overheard what they were doing later, I'd be like, F this, okay? I'm going to be hanging out on the floor, and I'll just come in. I'll take a table spot, and that's all I'm doing. I'm not competing with goddamn, like, blood fountains. Uh, Cash and Roosh start where they climb up the ladder, but then opt to come down and fight one another. Um, I thought, especially in the early going, Tralistico had some some really great spots here. Like, this was the first time he really got to break out and do, do some uh, very cool stuff. Um, Ricky Starks was very subdued in the match, but he was all over the ending and is probably going to be like one of the most remembered aspects of the match, but wasn't doing any of the insane stuff like some of the other guys were doing, uh, in particular Brody, Brody King, who I think, um, needed a blood transfusion by the end of this, um, Malachi, who took uh, several big suplexes onto the ladder. He slingshot the ladder into Cash's face. Crowd enjoyed that. And then Cash low blows Malachi on top of the ladder, and the crowd boos this. The audience was definitely behind House of Black for, for portions of this. Starks is in with a series of spears and a tornado DDT onto Dax. The crowd cheered that. And then we cut to King. He's been busted open on the floor, and he's just leaking blood as he sits on the floor. Um, the belly to belly to Malachi, that's where he lands on the, the ladder in the corner. And then Bill tips a ladder and Brody King plunges onto this ladder in the corner. Multiple ladders are set up. All six are fighting. King tips one of them, suplexes cash off the other. And then Dralistico is put through a ladder by King. King then is placed on this ladder that is wedged between the ring and the barricade. And Cash Wheeler leaps off the turnbuckle with a splash onto King on the ladder. Ladder does not break. It just looked terrible as these guys go down. Malachi pulls down Dax, hits the uh, the blackout or the black mass, and then Cash is dropped by Starks, and Starks is able to climb up, grabbing the belts at 20 minutes and 10 seconds. I thought it was an excellent ladder match, a pay-per-view worthy ladder match, which I think says a lot, you know, in the, in, in the age of ladder matches pretty much every single week. I appreciated how they didn't entirely rely on the ladders in the early portion, and they gradually built up to the spots being bigger and bigger ending with that insane Brody King Gonzo bomb oh, on the on, just, just amazing. I thought that for sure was going to be the, the spot of the night. Um, by now I, I, I barely even remember it. Malachi black. I thought was also a big standard to me. I love the slingshot um, ladder thing. He did so simple and so cool and totally fitting of the character. So very satisfying in terms of pace action and spectacle. Dax also did the uh, the Terry Funk spot with the ladder around mm-hmm. his head, swinging it as well. I mean, these guys, they went out, they killed themselves in these matches. I mean, part of me looks at these matches and they're, man, they're on a roster that some of these guys have had so many injuries and such. Like, yeah. there's just such a, like, this is the level now for a ladder match to stand out. And it tells you how out of whack it is. Uh, but not just stand out, but just to feel like it, it, it can justify a spot on the pay-per-view, dude. Like... If this was not a ladder match and just a four way, I, I I don't know if any of us would be talking about it. I guess my question is, does a Brody King in another generation, what he gets out of a performance like this versus this that I, I don't think we'll think about this in two weeks. Right. 
I think at least it keeps him as a presence on TV. Like he, you know, he, people love doing the barking, you know, people, people like Brody King. He did stand out in the match to me. Um, I think it's, it's storytelling, it's feuds, you know, and, and it's maybe big singles matches or tag matches that'll kind of do the rest at this point. The final push for the Continental Classic is the greatest stipulation for a tournament in history. As Nigel mentions, <laughs> there will be no outside interference in this tournament. All people are banned from ringside. So they are promoting oh. no bullshit finishes, <laughs> which is a first. I can't ever remember a tournament that has been promised no outside interference. Unlike every other match that you'll see. <laughs> I mean, that's somewhat telling that they feel like that is something like we do need to push that fact. It's something they rely on a lot. And this is going to be a tournament where we are putting top guys in and you're going to see clean wins and clean losses to establish this tournament and not protecting guys at the expense of a finish or something like that. So the comparison point is the G1 and not to say the G1 has no interferences because that's certainly not the case anymore, but it does have a reputation of being a very serious pro wrestling tournament. And maybe that's the intent with this rule. It definitely is the goal of this tournament, obviously, mm-hmm. to be their standout, you know, G1. Chris Statlander, Julia Hart, Sky Blue for the TBS Championship. Sky Blue comes out in her attire and they ask, does this represent the full transformation from the mist? Yeah, she dropped the, the hat and put on a crown. This a scary signal for Sky Blue mm-hmm. fans. So they really had to fight with the crowd here this was coming off that ladder match and they were in a position here where i mean i I don't think this has been the most compelling story uh despite i really think they needed a video recap for this one i understand why they didn't because this was a five what five hour show john and um this was not a big enough match that i guess justified it but this story i find really confusing especially with sky blue and what's going on with her with her and julia hart so what do you mean? You get missed in the face and 10% of you is corrupted and the percentage grows over time and it has similar effects um, to your psyche. And you look at the devil on your shoulder being Julia Hart and then the angel on your shoulder being Willow Nightingale. I mean, what video do you need to explain all of this? Who had no involvement in the match, right? So they also tell us like on commentary that the three of these uh, women were very good friends throughout the, the Jacksonville era. Um, cool. And <laughs> we hung out a few years one, ago. Yeah, I guess one person got misted, turned really evil. The other person tried to also um get misted and uh tried to avoid being really evil, but is kind of dark, but like a good version of dark. Yeah, or at least we think. Anyway, um, I by the start of this match, I think they. This is like 11 in that in the last season of Stranger Things, where she was going to go to the dark side, and we needed um. Yeah, we needed that musical montage to bring her back from the upside down. Yeah, I think three ways are already hard enough to like, you know, tell compelling stories for. And um, I I think they at least needed a bit of a refresher for most people before presenting it in this match. So Sky Blue offers to shake Julia's hand. But as the announcers are on top of, she shook with her left hand, not her right hand. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> like, do, you, do you remember when you were a kid and people would like i promise and they'd like put their hand behind their back and then they cross their mm-hmm. fingers i was like yeah do you know anything about like basic like that that would not hold up in court okay that you've crossed your fingers when you make a deal with someone neither okay? would a promise yeah maybe not um you could have an you, you could have an oral contract though um can you Just, really anyway. depends on the state i think 
anyway, I'm sure I'm sure this brought you all up to speed here. The, the, the dreaded left-handed shake, which is something Gabe Sapolsky did not explore enough in Ring of Honor. Hmm. What if you're a left-handed person? Tough. Okay. Okay. I guess Ned you're always Flanders, a liar. Go after yourself. So Chris catches Blue on her shoulder, slams her down. Then Chris gets shoved as she's climbing up the turnbuckle. And Hart goes for the moonsault on Blue, hits it. But Statlander makes the save. Blue counters the Saturday Night Fever. And she had this great transition to the Code Blue. I was very negative on the botched uh, Code Blue on Wednesday. But this was a nice transition. And then she goes for it again, but is stopped with a super kick before she can execute it that Julia Hart hits. Hart applies Heartless onto Sky Blue. And Chris comes back with a pair of Germans to both women. And the crowd is cheering this. Chris stops a tilt-a-whirl into the Saturday Night Fever onto Sky Blue. Has the match won when Hart nails Statlander and steals the pin in 11 minutes and 21 seconds as Julia Hart becomes the youngest AEW champion at the age of 22. Of, of any championship? We're talking? I, think, I think she's the youngest, period. I don't think they've ever had someone under the age of 22. Which, uh, I mean, I guess not that hard for me to believe, you know, considering she she's at one point the youngest person on the entire roster. So um, a surprising victory. I didn't think they'd do the title change here, you know. But listen, we, we said all the stuff about maybe a confusing storyline heading into the, 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 the match. They won this crowd over, I think, purely on, on the action. Um, it started off, you know, kind of quiet. But, like, once Sky Blue hit that awesome, like, whatever, like, twirly thing into the Code Blue, I mean, I was personally latched onto every move. And they had a great run-up towards the finish. And I think a finish like this just kind of underscores the incredible improvement you see, not just in Julia Hart, but also in Sky Blue and also in Chris Statlander, who, you know, I didn't think they would take the title off of her um in a relatively short amount of time, I guess, compared to Jade Cargill. But I would say she's done enough in this run to establish her as somebody who, you know, is it has staying power uh, on, on, on sort of like a higher end. Um, so I thought these three did really well by the end. So there you have it. Uh, Julia Hart representing a cable network in 2023. Yeah. I doubt she has cable. Oh, no, I, I highly doubt it. Yeah, she's a cord cutter for sure. Shivani's in the ring for the blockbuster contract that's signing and out comes Will Ospreay the place explodes he comes in signs the contract and then cuts a promo I'm not coming in just yet I need to finish up with New Japan and then I'll be here on the road to revolution and states he is all elite bruv which is probably going to be his uh, line of merchandise and says to line up the best you've got especially for Wembley Stadium I'll show you what elite really is and then later he posted a video online for his Japanese fans explaining to them that I'm not going anywhere anytime soon I'm going to explore other avenues but that doesn't mean I can't come back and I will see you all at the Tokyo Dome so number one I I think if you were coming in and how big of an announcement was this going to be, this certainly qualified. Mm. This is a great coup by AEW to sign this guy over WWE. I, I, th- I think it's a major signing for them. Yeah, I, and, and, and as a Tony Khan announcement, you know, remember the wording was uh, a pro who uh, all AEW fans know that um, and, and respect completely, completely justified um, sort of hyping. Of this well, and then today, today they were plugging as like blockbuster announcement. So it was uh, upgraded to the, that wording. And as right. we've learned, we have to pay attention to these words. <laughs> um, now, you could certainly argue that, OK, if we've signed this guy, let's pump out the news immediately. But it also feels as though this was something like we just did this need to be announced on this pay-per-view. This was like our our hook for a pay-per-view. And I'm sure it was designed like let's 
we want to have a big announcement on this show, hmm. but it is, it kind of does pump the brakes that, Hey, he's here in a few months. Sure. And this um, to our point, like last time, like this to me, I don't know. It, it does feel a little bit like lame duck. I know he can go back to new Japan, but it does really tell you like this guy's leaving and it's, yeah. it's, it's not really leaving it up to much, which is why I'm 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 actually more surprised from the New Japan side of things why they would maybe allow not just you know Will Osprey to negotiate but to publicly announce that he will be signing for a rival promotion. Um, I mean, technically a rival, but also a partner. So I think it says a lot. They about, probably want to continue business with, but yeah. you're right. Like if I was New Japan and all things were equal, no, you're not announcing this before the Tokyo Dome. Like we're, we're we have being... until February first, and you guys can go crazy the second you have right. the rights to him but we still have him under contract but it tells you a lot about maybe the, the the sort of health of the working relationship between the two companies right now and maybe for new japan yeah like the feeling that hey we we kind of need new, uh, AEW maybe more than they actually need us um but I, I I understand maybe wanting to get ahead of the story before like maybe something like this leaks. I think it's a it was a good tactic to to push towards you know the pay per view. I felt, and when they have something they actually can deliver a, a, a hype prop promise on, I I totally enjoyed sort of like the guessing game actually. Yeah, I mean from a from an AEW perspective, I would say from an audience perspective, I think this was the move to make. I think that it's it's more so just the New Japan end of things that you would look at here. Well, that's why Osprey this this promo was so much about like making sure that he's not upsetting either AEW fans nor New Japan fans. You right? almost felt like based on the lengths he went to, I, I like was Osprey crazy about announcing this now? I wonder. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he's ecstatic by now. Like they, they rolled out the carpet for him with with something like this and made him feel like a big deal on day one. So also promoted, of course, all in, you know, attached to him as well. Like that, that's that's a key part too. Is the fact that you have the presale that's the the, the tickets going on sale, and we, you've pretty much guaranteed Will Osprey will be in a major match at Wembley. That is a strong reason to get this out now uh, so, on top of that. So also at this point, I mean, of course, there is a third match between Omega and Osprey that I think we're all waiting for. Um, and now we know it won't take place. It will likely not take place in a New Japan ring. I don't think it, it has any reason to. No, um, I, so. I think I think it's pretty safe to say that you will not see Osprey do another G1, at least not while he's under contract here. Mm. And, you know, if you're Osprey and you're weighing your options, I mean, this is not a guy that is at a stage of his career where you're looking at, okay, if I sign for, we, we don't know what the, the term is, but let's say it's five years. He's 35 when this deal is up. Um, like WWE is not going to be disappearing in five years. Like this yeah. is not an idea that I'm signing with one group and that will uh, eliminate like Brian Danielson choosing to go to AEW or an edge going to AEW. But, yeah, but, you're, but you're not going to be able to go back probably. But the, the opposite would have been true too, John. If he signed with WWE, AEW would have been there for him too. But I would say for, for Will Ospreay, I would say at, at 30, when he probably feels I've still got you know several years of these caliber of matches, mm. I, I would be doing AEW from 30 to 35 versus the other way around and going AEW at 35. I mean, yeah. yeah. things I, can change grand, uh, greatly in five years of the, right. the, the different companies. He was not going to make a bad choice here when you had both leading companies offering you tons of money. But mm -hmm. it's another big signing by AEW. Like, this is not a case where AEW is just getting, 
you know, developing talent or just cannot compete for the biggest names. They have been able for this year to go in and they re-signed Kenny. They re-signed the Bucks. They have signed Will Ospreay. I mean, and that's not even including all the other names that we're not even going to mention, like Kota Ibushi or um, I guess Ric Flair, you know, if you want to include that too. <laughs> you, you landed um, Ric Flair in 2023. Or um, potentially a mercedes Bonet still to come, right, at the end of the year. So, um, but maybe to your original point when this whole thing was even teased, is he a difference maker? Does AEW need him? He's going to be a difference maker overseas. I would certainly cater like more of my, uh, like, uh, first of all, I would not be setting up my calendar where all in is the only show I'm doing there. And not just like piggybacking with a collision the night before. Like, I, I think you should go over there more often and I, like time will tell. I think you bring him in and you make him a giant deal right off the bat. And you present him as someone that's on a collision course with the, with the world championship and maybe that's the big Wembley match. He, he could be somebody that is like, you can le- legitimately lay claim to the top wrestler in the world. And how do we promote him in such a way that this is considered like a gigantic signing and a big boost for the company. And I like your choice of words there, John, um, you know, with Brian Danielson possibly leaving the company, you are going to need another face that might be able to lead that second show on Saturday nights or maybe on another another week and and certainly a, a, the promise of a weekly Osprey batch for a lot of people might might be that reason that they might finally tune in weekly on Saturdays so to follow that we go to the Texas death match between Swerve Strickland and Hangman should we take like a 10 minute break before talking yeah, about we this might one? have to put up a technical difficulty sign for a minute here this is uh, I'm going to oh. do my best folks 29 minutes and 47 seconds of action between these two and what oh yeah I, i'm shocked at, at the time um too long or too little that than you thought i didn't feel it at all like oh, i yeah. mean i'm not surprised that it felt that long because otherwise how would you cram that much in in but i never felt the 30 minutes at all wow so hangman storms the ring before first of all nana comes out and they've got dancers all doing the, the prince nana dance but swerve is just like in, in the exact mode he should be for entering a Texas death match. He's not taking part in any of this. He's uh, a baby side stuff. Yeah, absolutely. He is a baby kidnapper. Uh, so Paige doesn't get any entrance, just attacks him. And they go right at it, hits the buckshot lariat immediately, rams him into the barricade. How dare you go into my house and touch my child's crib? He whips a chair at Swerve, duct tapes his wrists, and starts attacking him with a staple gun. And he is stapling him over and over and over again, staples a piece of paper to him. Then he takes the paintings that Swerve tore up of his son that he had uh, posted on the refrigerator, and he tries to staple it to his cheek before ripping it off of his cheek. He brought his child's finger paintings to California. (sighs) This was this was incredible. I mean, the whole match was incredible already up until this point. But I think this little added extra bit of, um, I guess, pretty emotional sort of like story involved here. Um, bring you're essentially bringing the, your son into this incredibly violent war in a, an incredibly violent act of stapling <laughs> something so innocent to a man's face, and these were pretty li- like these were legit staples. Like you could see them off of Swerve's chest. I, I couldn't believe it. 
Swerve had to have taken like a dozen of these staples oh. at, at least. So, and dude, Swerve did an like all time gusher here. He is yeah. just. Um, I'm going to get demonetized, I think, by showing this, but I have to. Like, probably is... will, if not for this, for the description of the next scene, because Swerve is leaking blood and oh. Hangman Page leans down underneath Swerve. So you get this waterfall of blood onto Hangman who opens his mouth and the blood goes into his mouth. This was among the grossest things I have ever seen in a professional wrestling or any setting. And I, I would argue this was a visual it, like I would not want on my on my television. <laughs> Add it to the list, I suppose, of like, you know, all time AEW visuals that um, maybe you would question. But, uh, man, dude, I I don't know why, but like, I can't fault this because it fit, John. Like, it fits like this very special feeling that this match managed to create. And that's the feeling of a man whose house was broken into, whose, whose baby was threatened, wanting animalistic revenge okay john like all logic is thrown out the window at this point you're just going to kill somebody and these are the actions of a man who's driven who's been driven insane you know drinking his victim's blood like it just it it was a a, a holy shit moment that to me just fit the story and took it to another level and i i mean me during the pandemic would not be saying this at all um but man tonight it just it just worked yeah, and and maybe it's it's making a mountain out of a molehill, but let's remember the market that they're in here in like adjacent to LA. There were probably like key people at this show and you are selling your your television show this next year. And I'm just going to say this will probably be one of the scenes of the pay-per-view that is all plastered online tomorrow. And if you think what? that a dude snorting cocaine uh led to a backlash um, you just look at something like this and it's yeah. I, I can give you the argument of the story, but you are also on the market to sell your show. And maybe this means yeah. nothing. They've done some crazy violent stuff, but there's also it just depends on it's all in the person that sees this and what their reaction is. You're well. totally not wrong to bring this up. But like you said, John, there have been maybe not this bad, but there have been there's been bad shit on AEW in the past. And from all accounts, it seems like the networks have given them the go ahead for more of it, right? So it could be a negative. But we're reaction. not talking just just Warner Brothers Discovery as well, like potentially. Right. But you don't know the reaction. Like if this was Amazon, for instance, and they were shopping. I mean, you see the amount of core that they have in some of their shows. I mean, that that might be an attraction. It, it's hard to know like what what reactions are going to be. I just maybe know that um the audience's reactions i have to assume were good well this <laughs> audience's this. reaction like they were horrified like the reaction to this yeah. it was like a horrified reaction and it's not like aew either shied away from this like they got this clip up on their social channels like mm -hmm. they they knew that this was the shareable moment of well one of many in this in this match but yeah. it was a uh, i don't know i i feel like i have a again as i always say like these are not my like dream matches to sit down and watch, but I can certainly appreciate when they're done effectively well. But this spot right here was like stomach turning. To Did watch. you feel the same way? Like, like, you know, in MMA when like BJ Penn licks his gloves, 
of his of his victim's blood, for instance, or any. any I mean, that that was, dude. It, it's not as though those things happened in MMA and these same conversations happened. Like the UFC, like remember when they went to Fox and there was like blood on the canvas, they would replace the canvas when they would go on to Fox because of like advertisers did not want to see their logos splattered with blood. And over time, that's that's matured and they understand what the sport is. But they were still in on in an audition phase. And yeah, that kind of stuff was looked upon as like things that they didn't want to shine a spotlight on. And is that still the case? No, it's it's changed now. But you also don't have guys licking blood off of people's mouths either. It's in (laughs) such frequency. But you you have other problematic issues in, in MMA as well. Again, I'm not making like a big controversy over this. I'm just stating that you watch this in or out of context and like you the question it's not of, just wrestling fans that are digesting this stuff. The question of uh, where the line is, especially when it comes to violence and professional wrestling for a major national international promotion is is always going to be there and this was a match specifically to strad- made to straddle that line if not go past it. So Swerve is <laughs> Just a bloody mess here. And then he starts oh. no-selling the staples. And, oh. dude, Swerve was, like, unbelievable. Like, both guys. This was Amazing. probably a career match for both of them, and that's yeah. saying a lot. But, dude, like, Swerve, both of these guys felt like like this should be your world title program. Like, this is a all-time rivalry that they can go back to at any point over the duration of these guys' careers. But when Swerve started no-selling these staples, like, he is at another level when it comes to persona and character and does not even have to talk in these like the what he the vibe he gives off is there might not be anyone at this level in in this company completely completely agree i mean for a long time i think we've said this guy you know they did a horror movie skit if you remember a kidnapping a uh, billy gun and I, oh it, yeah I mean, this is this is that guy. Like he he seems to very much embody horror movie villain, movie villain. Um, in 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 such a perfect way for profession, such a perfect way for professional wrestling. Let me just say though, like this early portion was so sadistic on the part of the babyface that it almost turned into a a, a a double turn. You know, with with the crowd cheering, you know, for Swerve because they almost felt like Hangman was going too far. But again. How else would, should somebody react when their house and their baby's nursery baby. is broken into? Baby. Right? He's got carte blanche. That's it. That's Drink the justification. That up, okay? we, Put it we, in again, a shot glass. You know, we can joke about maybe how silly that angle felt at the time. They needed something like that. And it's all in the reaction and the way they played it to make it serious. And I think they more than did, did that tonight. Swerve pulls out a cinder block, which leads to a Death Valley driver to hang man on top of the cinder block. Then they go, they somehow manage to balance on top of the guardrail and Swerve hits a pile driver on the guardrail. I don't know how the hell they pulled this off without slipping. With all the blood, absolutely. And and just like, I have to think anybody who loses that amount of blood would have issue with their balance or just breathing, you know? Uh, I mean, these guys, like what all they had mapped out, I mean, they were they were not missing here. Yeah. Um, Page wraps a barbed wire around Swerve and hits a fallaway slam, then pulls out a barbed wire chair and proceeds to hit an Orihara moonsault holding the barbed wire chair. Then we see a tombstone reversal, a barbed wire chair to the back, followed by a power bomb and a Swerve stomp by Swerve onto the barbed wire chair. So then it's time for Swerve to go and he pulls out a bag of glass that he pours over the back of Hangman and proceeds to hit a 450 splash 
onto the glass on Hangman's back, and this crowd is just blown away by this. Follows the JML driver, and the count begins, and Hangman gets to gets up at the count of nine. This could have been the finish, and they still had like another ten minutes to go here. So we see a barbed wire board introduced, and this is where Hangman comes back and manages the fallaway moonsault off the top with going through the barbed wire board that had been balanced on two chairs, hits a power bomb onto the board, and then a dead eye wraps the barbed wire and hits a buckshot lariat. And you think Swerve is down for the count. Nana pulls him to the floor and he lands on his feet. And this is when Brian Cage runs out attacking Hangman. Hits him with a power bomb, buckle bomb, crowds chanting for fire, and Page uses the barbed wire around his elbow to take care of Cage and hits him with the lariat. Nana then uses a chair and is caught by Hangman, which leads to Nana falling to his demise with a dead eye off the apron through a table. Swerve breaks the cinder block from behind over uh, Hangman's back and then hangs him with a chain from the post and Hangman is down unconscious on the floor. He hung the Hangman. He hung the Hangman Mm -hmm. and the count begins. Hangman still manages to show life at the count of nine, which I thought was a nice little intricacy, but it wasn't enough that he could get up and the match ends at 29 minutes and 47 seconds. I think like the standard of like any of these types of matches from this point forward is going to be compared to this one. It's going to be, I don't know if it's the most violent match that anyone has ever seen. It's going to be up there. And more importantly, it was on a platform that more people are going to see probably than any other uh, comparison points. But in terms of all time, great AEW matches, I think this is in that conversation. I would put yeah. this a, like Moxley and Hangman had a, a similar match like this that we were glowing about similar. I think this topped that, and yeah. I think this is going to be a match that these two are they they will forever be linked. I think through a match like this, completely, completely agree. Um, I think it was it's definitely um if not the most violent AEW match ever, like it's at least in the that conversation of like you know top one or two. Um, I think you know death matches in the deathmatch community probably like regularly see blood of this sort to an irresponsible degree even. Um, but I would even suggest that this was probably very satisfying for, for that audience. And that's probably saying a lot. I thought this was one of the best matches of the year. Um, and I don't even know where to begin about this one, John, because oh man, the intensity was incredible from the get go. I think Hangman has been so good ever since this his home was invaded. Okay, he and again, it's all in the response of the character, despite how ridiculous this story might be. He immersed me into the story of a man getting revenge for his baby's life being threatened, and again, I I completely bought into his animalistic desire to exact revenge. Um. And it just tells you, like, maybe you can get away with almost anything as long as the response to it is serious. And this completely felt real. Uh, The staplers was insane. And then Swerve using them to staple himself was nuts. You had one of the all-time most grotesque blade jobs i think i've ever seen on camera um this is a visual that i i mean i'm sure will will last for quite a while um the blood dripping into hangman's mouth was another highlight that if you want to call it that um that definitely treaded that line between what's what's too much um i i thought as a viewer though it completely immersed me into this fiction and the story and while simultaneously being like worried about 
these human beings going too far. And that's that weird tension that I think these type of matches can provide. You know, on the one hand, you're really getting involved in the fiction while at the same time being kind of concerned about whether or not they're safe and also whether or not they can stick the landing on the every, every intricate thing that they plan. And they planned a lot, John, you know, like Arihara moonsaults, like that moonsault um, uh, uh, power slam from, from page. It, just like these breathtaking stunts while a man has like bled half of his body's worth of fluid. Um, and then they nailed everything. So I just, <laughs> I, I was tense, like coming off of this for pretty much a good portion of the rest of this, my evening, uh, my evening. Yeah, it's listen, I, I think you'd be crazy not to applaud what was pulled off by the, these two. I think it was incredible. I think there's also um, such a, a level that we are now asking to be one upped uh, for a future iteration of this that you keep pushing. And again, maybe it's it's like we recently like reviewed his documentary. So it's more fresh in my mind, but you're right. Nigel had to call this. You're right. It wasn't lost on me that Nigel was calling this and (laughs) frequently noting how, how difficult this was to watch. And, you know, for, for him, I think he's in a very difficult position where Mm -hmm. um, you either are just parking your, you know, your concerns and your legitimate worries with the understanding of where pro wrestling is and, you know, there's only so much you can do, but mm. at the same time, like here he is having to call a dude drinking a guy's blood in the middle of a ring. And this was someone that would not go into a ring if a previous uh, match had featured blood in it. He's been very outspoken in the past about, you know, uh, making sure this irresponsible blood use is, is not taking place in, in professional wrestling. I, again, I'd love to know maybe his updated thoughts on something like this and would he consider this on some level, responsible blood use. You know, again, I'd, I've always wanted testing and transparent testing, blood testing for any participant that chooses to engage in high-level professional wrestling, especially if you're going to bleed. Um, again, it's really hard for me to think responsibility because, like, I feel like I just saw, like, this this war that draw that drew out the most sort of, like <laughs> – base level you know primal feeling out of me and man i just this was a huge success i i can't really i think think the message i saw saw some message me and i'm paraphrasing was something like that was an all all all-time classic and i'm never gonna watch it again and that's probably like some people's response to a match like that but it was it was out of this world like it was to me it was the match of the show and it was one of the matches of the year i don't yes. think you can like it's its own category in pro wrestling but you have to be able to acknowledge when it's done at such a high level and this was like the highest level of it being done for 30 minutes and the intensity never wavered and you come out of it and it's uh, i think going to we we talk so often about matt like that ladder match those guys work their asses off it's going to be forgotten about tomorrow i can't say that about this one this will not be forgotten. Um, this will, we will discuss this at the end of the year, if not even beyond that. And, and you know, as far as like who wins, I, I, I honestly don't even think it matters at the end of all of this because they both kind of lost enough, right? Look at the damage both of these men took. It, it almost feels like the the actual outcome of the match is just a bit of a formality. So for one thing, I'm I'm happy that they gave it to Swerve and they didn't just 50-50 this thing because he really should be next in line for the championship. Let MJF beat Joe, beat Wardlow, beat all these unserious guys and have Swerve seriously challenge him for the championship uh, because I, I, I just don't know if he can get any harder than he currently 
currently is. Um, secondly, like Hangman exacted enough revenge in the body of this match, in, in my opinion. The man stapled his son's painting onto his opponent's face. Okay. Um, so I, I just left this feeling like everything was satisfied and both of them are that much bigger as a result of it. Maybe Swerve comes out and he apologizes to Hangman and says, you know, a lot of people think that when you break into a man's house and go up to their baby's crib and threaten to kidnap them, that's a point you can't come back from. But let's remember in context, Hangman, it's not like I drop kicked your your knee inside of the steps, which is what you <laughs> truly can't come back from. According to the road dog. That's yeah. that's the point of no return. I didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Following that, this is the only time I think I felt bad about the Young Bucks having to follow a match. Um, I never thought I would see a tag team match involving Kenny Omega and Young Bucks on opposing sides <laughs> as the come down match following something else on a pay-per-view. What did you think about the order? Not not of the whole card, but the last three matches. Do you think it would have made a difference to have flipped this with, with the other? Um, Any or- match in existence would have failed after Swerve versus page with the amount of stuff that they managed to do in that one so maybe it was just the bucks and omega and and the veteran you know taking one for the team because this no one was going to to survive this one they 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 did their best here so it was jericho and omega against the bucks don Callis is on commentary and omega and nick start the match shaking hands uh but then there's a disagreement among the golden jets early on and then they focus the match on jericho's arm by putting it into the steps and attacking it. And his forearm starts bleeding and that became their target for the whole match. Like they they had like a really well planned out match together that would combine like all the athleticism that you will get in a bucks match with, you know, uh, rare interactions with a Kenny Omega and Jericho doing this great selling with with the arm that I, I thought really was some great stuff where he had to rely on the left arm for the Judas effect. He had to give up on the walls because of the pressure that the arm was, uh, was giving him. Um, like, I, I think in a vacuum, you could appreciate that this match a lot. It was just following a spectacle that I, I don't think anyone, even the greatest optimist could have imagined coming out of that, that Texas death. Match. It was really hard for me to focus and pay attention to it. You know, I had just been blasted in the face with like so much spectacle and emotion and, gore that just seeing four people having a standard wrestling match as spectacular as they are it just didn't even register in my head for a bit uh we see kenny omega with the with the golden triangle to the floor jericho does a moonsault on or lion salt onto both bucks and this is where he applies the walls onto matt but the arm is bothering him enough that he can't hold on to it so jericho is punching with the good arm in the corner and then into a top rope rana on matt when nick kicks uh jericho low and kenny gets upset that he would stoop to that level against us and with that he turns around and matt kicks kenny low so the bucks have there, it's not just Jericho, but also Kenny, that they will uh, resort to kicking in the balls. And uh, if you're losing count, so am I on this show. So Nick hits Omega with the, or sorry, hits Jericho with the Judas effect. And it's Kenny that makes the save. Uh, Nick hits a springboard swan onto the floor. They hit Jericho with the BTE trigger and Jericho kicks out. That gets a big reaction. Omega stops them from a Meltzer driver. And then Nick super kicks the injured arm of Jericho. And he did this a pair of times and they, they were great. Just super kicking the arm. Jericho does a low blow on Nick. And then it's Omega who sees Nick and Jericho in position for the B trigger. And Omega has a choice to make. He can either attack the young bucks that have turned on both him and Chris, or he can just realign with the elite, the, uh, 
the 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 enemies of my enemy are not my friend here because he goes he runs the ropes skips jericho and then nails uh nick with the v trigger and this crowd they really got into this like tension of who is kenny going to hit here it was a really good spot and then kenny just fires up with snap dragons and we get into all of these teases around the one-winged angel where it's countered into a poison rana then matt hits one onto omega and omega kicks out of his own finisher Jericho stops the Meltzer driver with a code breaker in midair and Matt tries to stop the one winged angel and Kenny turns it into Kreutz wrath for a two count. Maybe he was going back and watching his Kushida match from uh, 2016 this week. Jericho lands the left arm Judas and then eats these super kicks from Matt. He's yelling in his face before he goes down and then it's Omega nailing Matt with the one winged angel and pins him in 20 minutes and 52 seconds. Again, I think on its own, this match would hold up really, really well. It just was in, easily, I would say, one of the toughest spots of any pay-per-view this year. Yeah, completely agreed. I, I think match pl- placement killed them. I also think a rush story killed them. I mean, this was like a pretty quickly built up thing, you know. Um, and I have to wonder like what initial plans were for the Bucks because I don't think they would have won that title shot only for it to be not mentioned for what like two months before offering it up for um I guess you know essentially Jericho and, and Omega to win it. So uh, who knows what like plans were for the Bucks like in this entire stretch since since all in I would certainly say it's it's felt kind of weird. Um and for that reason, because the story was rushed, I never really bought into any of the storytelling elements of like Kenny actually wanting to to turn, um, or there even being any sort of real grudge between o- 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 Omega and and making sure like you know his concern for the Bucks didn't outweigh his competitive spirit. I some you know their prior matches in, in a tag team setting are some of my favorite of all time but i felt like this was handicapped for several reasons um but including a pretty quick quickly told story well after the bucks have their they're doing like the petulant child routine where they have a shit fit here and they're taking off their shoes they're throwing their shoes into the crowd matt's hitting the post with the chair much like he did on television and they just leave and that's the idea that they're acting like children like which kenny has accused them of so that's that's the characters now yeah i'm not that into it you know no are you um we'll see where it goes yeah, i don't know if i want to see the the young bucks first of all like i feel like they were just heels not that long ago this this again feels like some sort of change in direction for them and just the concept of like delivering low blows and and being children is on the surface at least is not that attractive but i mean it's only the start so i guess we'll see where they go yeah and as per the step that gives omega and jericho a tag title shot whether it's big bill and ricky starks or if they whenever that match is gonna happen mjf against jay white is the main event for the no it's not oh i'm so sorry guys it was adam cole and jay white for the aew championship because out comes adam cole so (laughs) this this was amazing so adam cole is out and he's ready to do the match when an ambulance sound goes throughout the arena. Everyone can hear it. And there's MJF driving up in an ambulance. His quad is taped up. He had to battle this door that wouldn't open. Gets out. And then he makes his way to the ring. His music plays. And, dude, you've got, like, the entire presidential security detail out there to stop him. And I'm going to – did you see some of the, the Twitter comments about this, including one that said, 
I still want to know why 20 bodies tried to stop Max from getting in the ring, but the dude with crutches from two ankle surgeries got a whole ass unbothered entrance. (laughs) The person who tweeted that, Dr. Britt Baker, (laughs) pointing out the (laughs) logic of this, the fact that AEW personnel and trainers had no problem with Adam Cole going into this match with one leg, but MJF with a knee injury, Max, Max, no, you can't do this. This part, like it just on its surface, it's just screaming at me. This makes no sense. But um, I think this story, you really had to just lean in. And if you enjoy the story, you're going to forgive stuff like this, but I don't know. There was a lot of logic gaps in this from Tony Khan approving this to, um, yeah, just the whole title hot potato deal and who can defend it in a, in a company that has really tried to make their title so serious and such. And I think this is where you do get some of that pushback where they're obviously trying to go in different directions with where their title picture can go and relying on these stories that sometimes you are sacrificing that that kind of sports like feel for for story i feel like this angle would have um you know received enough criticism had it taken place on dynamite on a pay-per-view in the main event for your world championship i i i i mean it was a a choice okay it was a very unique creative choice and now by the time this this happened like mjf comes back and it's sort of like the cliche again tropey baby face thing right you know you don't think they're able to make it and they finally they're able to make it again i'm waiting for like what's the thing on top of this that like mjf is going to do that'll like add a twist to something we've seen a million times i don't know if it ever came john like this just kind of felt like a cliched you know baby face return well, he comes in and let's speak about it as a whole. Listen, MJF, I think he has done, you, you can argue like how effective, but I think he has certainly found a way for his matches to be built around certain things that the audience wants or just things that are very evident that you know what the story is. In this case, it was like for, for weeks, it was building up to a double clothesline, to a kangaroo kick. Tease the audience, give what the audience wants, big reaction. And for this one, it was, my knee is destroyed. Can I overcome the odds here? And that's what you got for 30 minutes here. So that's not going to be everyone's um, cup of tea here. I, I thought like this was a... Like I thought MJF did a pretty great job in, in this match with, with the knee. And yeah. so so... I think that's great. The idea that you can, you know, sell an injured body part heading into a story. Did it need to have everything attached to it in order for him to tell that story? The Adam Cole stuff. No, no, I'm talking. Well, I'm talking about the the, the, the attack from the guns. Yes. Okay. And, and Adam Cole, you know, being like built teasing for- the whole show that he would wrestle instead. Yeah. Obviously, that was a decision of the, the idea that MJF is against all odds here he is not cleared um so so it it wasn't my like i I didn't like it so like yes like i understand what's what what it's all in service of and and that's the story of this match of mjf trying to survive this this entire match with the broken leg i also think with the way they did it it took a lot of people out of the match with how ridiculous a lot of it was to the point where it was kind of hard to simply buy into, you know, what is essentially a body part story versus them maybe doing something a bit more realistic, like getting ahead of ourselves. But like, what if he injured his leg delivering that elbow drop 
<laughs> I mean, he might have, dude. That, dude, that was a. And crazy then you could have done the whole fun. leg story. You could have done the Adam Cole teases still towards the end of the match. I found it really hard to immerse myself into the rest of the match, seeing him do kangaroo kicks with his leg ba- barely hanging on. You know what I mean? Well, he did have his Seth Rollins moment there with the kip up after the kangaroo. Oh man, I had more of an issue had, with the kip up uh, than I did the uh, the kangaroo kick. Let me ask you this: We're going to be all over the place on this match. We will yeah. go through some of the highlights, but. If we go, say, six months in the in the future and Adam Cole is revealed as the devil mm-hmm. and we can go back to this where Adam Cole was going to be in a position where he could have lost MJF's title and MJF makes the return and thwarted his plan. And then you can piece together the pieces of the ring that ended up Jay White gets the ring. All these little things that were Adam Cole's ways to screw him out of the title that MJF overcame. Does that change any of your thinking? Well, I think everything in the last 10 minutes of this match was completely valid. I'm not saying you can get rid of him. You could have done all that stuff had you had a more realistic entry into the knee injury without having to change the match for half the show and the ambulance, you know, and, and things like that. You could have still done everything else. It might have been more effective if Adam Cole didn't show up earlier in the sh- in the match or, or in the show and made a surprise appearance partway through this match after he saw his friend get it, you know, suddenly get an injured leg. And when you had the the interference in this match as well with the guns, like they were there in the beginning, they get ejected, then they come in later in the match. That to me had to be the Samoa Joe spot. Like it made no sense that Samoa Joe is just sitting back watching his title opportunity be jeopardized when you've got a MJF is outnumbered with this injury. And if this guy loses, your title shot goes up in smoke. Like what was the whole purpose for this last month of you convincing this guy to trust you? You were going to lose this shot. So that should have been the babyface spot for Joe. Or they could have explained that. Or they could have explained that Joe had left. Yeah, they could have done that too. But again, why would he have left? That, that was the whole purpose of this was I got your back. Uh, he he has his back as long as he grants him a title shot. And that's just kind of, kind of characteristic of like the tweener that Joe is. I'm going to fulfill my promise, but only up to an extent. And I don't give a shit about you the rest of the time. Right. But but again, if he doesn't leave this match with the title, like that's the way he gets the title shot. He doesn't yeah, yeah, it. you're right. Because even if Adam Cole was defending it, I mean, Joe would still have a vested interest in, in seeing Adam Cole win. Yeah. So it's like the whole match is working on the knee Uh, for for that fact. Like I I thought Jay White wrestled a very good match here. Um, You know, again, it was the the length of it might not be for for everyone here, but I think they built up to several falls where you would leave. That was what they were fighting here. The idea of Jay White winning this, that, you know, you got some believable near falls, but it still was a stretch that I think no one was fully invested or believing in seeing Jay White win this. But yeah, one of the, the the spots of this match is when uh Jay White is rolled onto the 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 announcer's desk and it instantly breaks and obviously the setup was that MJF was going to put this guy through the desk with a big elbow off the top so with Jay White on this destroyed desk on the floor MJF climbs to the top and he does the Sammy Guevara like just I'm crazy signal I was like oh my god the Shane McMahon guy. really yeah I'm going ahead. I don't know if I ever saw Shane McMahon do this to the floor. And dude goes through with his intended elbow drop onto the floor. And dude, I thought he was out of his mind trying this. He probably was, yeah. Oh, God. So anyway. I understand was- like the story, I guess, is like he's willing to do anything to keep this championship. I don't know, dude. Like there are some spots, though, that were just like this is kind of one of them where I 
it took me out of it. I, not for one second after, even before this, but especially after like the logic of, of a guy with one leg going up and doing this, did I was I able to truly believe that his leg was gone. It's tough, right? Like if we're going to, like you still have to do a main event AEW pay-per-view match following all you've done. Mm-hmm. And if we were to limit this to a guy realistically selling a leg that can't do any of these big, like flying cutters to the floor and stuff, like you do have to make some compromises to have a satisfactory main event. The problem is they did. The problem isn't the elbow. It's the length they went to show that he was not well enough that he had to go to the hospital, come back driving his own ambulance and then still do this. Like well, I said, Tony Connie, he, uh, well, he cleared Adam Cole, who's like just had two surgeries. So, I mean, this is nothing. This but is like I said, boo-boo. this could have been the spot that injured his leg and you could have still done the rest of this match, you know. Um, but anyway, let's please continue. So the crowd is chanting for MJF and Jay White is attacking with the dragon screws. Excalibur had a great tie in of all his time feuding with Tanahashi. He has perfected the dragon screw. MJF stops a blade runner with a rolling elbow, catches him with a tombstone, but lands on the bad knee. So MJF, he pulls down the knee pad because of the swelling and he collapses and Doc Sampson comes over to check on him. MJF gives him the middle finger. He will not give up. And White then wrenches at the knee, applies the figure four and there at ringside, there is Helen Hartway and she's got the towel is she is adam cole gonna throw in the towel all we needed was uh you know a a sibling to be pleading and let me just say i thought i thought this portion was excellent like I I, this I, was a great tease and i yeah. thought people legitimately thought this is a way mjf could lose the title is the the towel being thrown in which would have been a great like swerve on this this friendship with cole but doing the right thing that he can justify yeah, enough tension uh, or, or enough like deniability for on the uh, part of Adam Cole that you could continue to tell that story. But anytime, like like you said, John, the queen of this spot is Helen Hart. Okay, no one's ever going to do as well as she she does, and ever. But um, Adam Cole did really well here too, and I thought they built this moment really well. Think think of the promo Adam Cole gets, the response after MJF has the towel thrown in to end his his end his run, and it's Adam Cole who says. The same reason that prompted you to come back from the hospital after I had gone through surgery to protect me is the care I had for you in that moment when you were in the figure four. Mm-hmm. And he's got him like the, it's the exact same thing. I thought like they they let this dangle for like 30 seconds. I was like, there's like interesting ways you could go with this. But it, it was just a tease. They didn't throw in the towel. And MJF reverses the figure four. And then Adam takes the ROH tag belt. And this was another one of the spots where. He doesn't have the power to actually nail Jay White. So Jay White just rips it away from him. And now he's got the belt, nails MJF with the belt, huge near fall. The crowd bit on this one. And again, they're really into MJF, cheering for him here as he kicks Jay White into Bryce Remsburg. Cole then puts the dynamite ring onto the canvas, but it's White who goes back to the knee, takes the ring away, and MJF hits a low blow to stop the ring shot. This is when the guns return. MJF fights them off, stops a Blade Runner, and he hits Jay White with the dynamite ring, winning the match in 29 minutes and 42 seconds. Big hug with Adam Cole, and they just celebrate on the stage, and that's how the show ends. And I think Adam Cole is doing a really good job of kind of like playing – that balance of a guy who is at once happy while 
you could also read into him faking that happiness. So, um, yeah, like the, they furthered that story of at, whether or not Adam Cole is truly here to help MJF or if he's here to screw him. I mean, it's the Santos and, and Rey Mysterio angle, right? Uh, but just done multiple times. I have kind of mixed feelings about this match, John. You know, I yes, they managed to create a great reaction by the end. Um, but I, I overall didn't feel like everything they did leading up to it was successful. I, I thought it took away. Um, and I thought it gave them warranted criticism of this show being overbooked in particular, the main event being overbooked and everything involving MJF being overbooked. Um, I think they could have had a much, much simpler layout that I thought would have maybe helped the match itself would have helped Jay White. Certainly, you know, there's going to be criticism of the booking of Jay White, not being able to overcome a one-legged man. Um, but you know they they did enough here to to certainly grab the crowd by the end. But that's not worth everything, in my opinion. I thought there were way too many holes in all of the Adam Cole the the, the tease of the main event switch. Um, that stuff I I didn't feel paid off. Um, but I really did enjoy the, this match. It was totally different from some of the other standout matches on, on this card. Um, so in that sense, I didn't feel they were necessarily competing with the Texas Death Match. They were doing something totally different. And this for for whatever we want to say. AEW does have that top baby face in MJF. He does. It, this does not feel like a baby face that we are just trying to recreate what we had with CM Punk. Like he is a baby face. This audience has taken to in a big way. And I, I thought overall, like the match, um, you know, it, certainly there were issues you, you could have here and there, but I thought overall it was a pretty entertaining main event. And I do think like this story overall with the devil and with Adam Cole, I feel like it is going to have a, a strong payoff to it and people are getting more invested in all of these little clues and who, who it's going to lead to and hopefully being rewarded for picking up on clues like that. It needs to have a strong payoff and, and I'm confident that they, they will deliver as well. I also think that a lot of the criticisms that this feud has had has been warranted. You know, I think that the microscope is going to be on that much like, you know, tighter on on a main event feud for your world title program. And I think there have been a lot of blemishes in this particular cycle uh, between everything with Juice Robinson to, I think, a pretty lackluster. Who was taken out with a flat screen TV on on Rampage. So that's why he was written out here. And they explained that Juice, that maybe that was the, the missing link that they didn't have. I think I'm more so maybe a little bit disappointed in like their um their reliance on so many wrestling cliches like Jay White stealing the, the championship. I, I I think it's just been it's been stupid. Um, it's been pointless. And I also feel like this ambulance thing that they did was all completely ne- unnecessary tonight as well. All right. Well, that was full gear. 2023 in the books. I think we're both in unanimous uh, voting of the Texas death matches, the match of the show. Listen, like you can debate whether or not like this was a, an overall good show. I, to me feel that death match alone made this a more than good show. Like that match was so good. The rest of this card could have been shit and it was not the, the, there was some very good wrestling on the rest of the show. Uh, but that, that match alone, it was, is worth your 50 bucks. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would put this at the scale of um, the recent ones, like with Wrestle Dream and and All Out, just going the past two shows. But I, I thought overall, the, like this was a thumbs up show for me. I thought it was still a very strong show. When we're talking about uh, the ladder match, that that was very good. I enjoyed the Cassidy Moxley match quite a bit. Um, Six Man was a fine opener as well. You had the Texas Death Match, um, Bucks against Omega and Jericho, tough position, but still, I thought the 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 arm story was compelling. And then the main event. Um, I, I enjoyed the main event, but 
overall it's uh i could see the show coming out with uh, very mixed reactions because this was a much more booking heavy show that they tend to like a lot of these AEW shows it's we leave that for the television and then boom this is just go out and have your your big match and if you have some of those criticisms or if you have some of that praise we'd love to hear it right now this is where we open up our feedback section for anybody who is a member at postwrestlingcafe.com or video.postwrestling.com you can find the link and you can call in right now with your live thoughts or if you're a post wrestling cafe patron leave them at forum.postwrestling.com but if for everybody else you're welcome to leave a super chat uh, of any denomination and we will jump you to the front of the line and we will take your question first as we will hear from her niece de la cruz who sends five dollars thank you very much Ernest. he says overbooking as hell tonight also mjf is up there with seth on forgetting to sell a body part i mean there were certain moments of that but i would say his selling was like almost um like polar opposite in the, in the sense that they were trying to i i think he was constantly trying to sell the knee but also being portrayed as like the superman character that can pull off all of this stuff as opposed to just forgetting that his knee is injured i think it's what rollins attempts to do most of the time too but i mean i certainly felt like i could have done without the kip up without the kangaroo kick even without like elbow drop you know um I, 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 like you said, John, there's a balance between like having to deliver your spectacular offense for a main event while also keeping that in mind. Um, I guess I just wouldn't have painted them in, in the corner and I would have introduced the leg injury later on in the match. But it's going to be different for everybody. They're, they're sort of um, uh, ability to tolerate that. Uh, Jared sends two 299 Super Chats and he says, I'm done with barbed wire and wrestling. Please stop. Well, for some, they are like, it's not going to be your cup of tea. Like, it's not my favorite style of wrestling. Like, it's... Um, I and- thought it was used very effectively today. You know, um, I'm sure it didn't feel very good. But there was that moment where Swerve hit Page, hung on the top turnbuckle with the chair, and that barbed wire caught around his head. Um, to, like, got a gasp from me. So, for that style of match, I thought it was used effectively. But I don't blame you for not liking it. Let's go to Stefan Kyle Gosain, who sends $10. Thank you, Stefan. He says, I found the show inconsistent with only the death match and the international title matches truly grabbing my attention. Here's hoping the Continental Classic is the course correction that I've been waiting for. I mean, they're certainly gearing it towards, hey, we're going to give you kick-ass matches every every week on multiple shows, and you're going to get you know five round-robin matches from each individual and leading up to uh, this, this triple crown. So I think that, and based on, again, I haven't seen any additional names that they put in, but you're certainly getting the sense that a lot of big names are going to be put in there. Maybe not all when you see like a Mark Briscoe level, but nonetheless, like I think that they really want to go out and establish this thing. Thank you very much for the super check, Stefan. Let's go to some calls. Okay. Let's open them up. All right. Let's go to Brian. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, John Way. Thanks for the review again. And uh, yeah, I should have said this uh, earlier. Uh, thanks for all the podcasts uh, this week. Uh, Thank you. Thanks hero- for listening. Yes. Yeah, especially the hero interview. Um, that was fantastic. And caught cause match last night. Uh, yeah, that was last night. Yes. I'm, yes. <laughs> and and uh, an I'm, update that they, so in the past, and they had like mentioned it, that it would just be 
on YouTube and the replay goes on IWTV. But as of like last check, the whole show is still up there. So you can go uh, and, and watch it. That's so smart. When, we, when we ended Rewind to SmackDown, I'm watching like the preview video and I'm like, okay, this is perfect. The match is up next. It was halftime. It was the intermission. Yep. So yeah. it was like another two hours away. <laughs> um, and I ended up staying up and watching that on, uh, on Friday. But yeah, it was teased the retirement and then was just kidding. And he's back in two weeks teaming with Kenta. How do you look? I thought, like, what did you think of the match, Brian? I thought it was a successful match. He he did take a water break during the match, but otherwise, it was like felt like the uh, hero Thatcher match of old, and you know, Thatcher's only gotten better. But uh, I thought he looked totally fine. I thought the commentary was very good. Like they went over oh, yeah. their history together, and in particular, the fact that Hero had lost when he had kicked out and was caught in a Fujiwara armbar on the kickout, and that is how the match ended. But the role reversal with Hero catching him with the Fujiwara and mm-hmm. submitting him here. So um, overall, like I thought, it told a very good story about here is the guy that's been gone for three and a half years. He's trying to like you know find find his rhythm after all of this inactivity against this longtime rival of his and you had an audience that it, like especially online like there was a good amount of buzz going around during the day for this uh chris hero return um and probably put some eyes on west coast pro yeah uh yeah but as for full gear uh i'm glad this was on saturday uh for one and uh i, I felt the main event lo- went longer than it needed to but had a lot of good moments to it but uh, I, I did not see that flying cutter over the top coming, but all the manufactured drama before it was how you described it, and I don't think this feud will be remembered all that fondly. But overall, I really enjoyed the pay-per-view a lot. Uh, my Real quick, my runner-up highlights would be Orange and Moxley. Uh, I, too, like their all-out match more, but these two work so well together and told mm-hmm. a very good story. Uh, also, the ladder match and also the TBS title match, which exceeded my expectations greatly. But as for my top highlight, um, you've already discussed it. I and Swerving Page, uh, I say it nearly every time I see a great hardcore match. Uh, I'm not a fan of blood. <laughs> early elements of the Texas Death Match were not my cup of tea. And given Page's early drink break, uh, that's literally not my cup of tea. But when you have wrestlers and personalities at the level of Page and Swerve, and they're Looking to have a serious grudge match under these rules, and they pulled off like this. It's just incredible. I enjoyed this so much, like more than this year's Anarchy in the Arena or Stadium Stampede or any era, any iteration of Blend Guts. And I don't think I'll ever forget this, but I don't know how they're going to follow it. Um, do you see them like having like uh, a time apart? Like maybe for the Continental Classic before they meet again, and or I don't know how you follow this honestly. Like this yeah. should be the end of this feud for a long, long time. Hangman accepts that he's lost, but accepts some sort of moral victory that he was able to mm, make that man bleed as much as he did. Um, and he has to kind of like tell a story of picking up the pieces, I suppose, and rebuilding himself back up, maybe as this like new, darker, aggressive version of himself, right? So I I wouldn't even tempt trying to do a third one, at least not anytime soon. Yeah, me neither. I, I think you want to keep them away for, for some time. Like this should be the next time they meet, like it should be for the title. Like it should be yeah. a year from now yeah. Ooh, or yeah. or longer. And, I think. and who wins the, the third match? You already have Swerve hot enough winning the first two matches, right? There's no need for a rubber match. So anyway. Hey, um, thank you, Brian. Appreciate the call. Yeah. Thank you, guys. 
All right, let's go to one more super chat here from Andy, who sends 100 rupees. Thank you, Andy, for the support as always. He says, with its plot holes, MJF and Jay was a love letter to 2000s WWE, and MJF even went super Cena. Vengeful Hangman is AEW's most compelling character. Seven out of ten show. Thank you for yeah. that, Andy. It is an interesting like path that you're watching of MJF in trying to like find his role as like a top babyface. That I mean, it's undeniable that the audience is, I think, clicking with a lot more now as we've seen him try many, many different areas. And a lot of it is just like traditional, basic babyface stuff. But a guy who's like a super bell to bell talent and is mixing in uh, d- different offense, different stories, and trying to be like the like a new age top end baby face that still maintains a little bit of edge from the prior character and balancing this like what got me so popular with this audience as a heel that I don't want to completely divorce myself from, but also have more redeeming qualities uh, as as well. Like it's it's bit like an interesting journey. Like he's not your traditional like baby face that they've had in this company. And I think it's, it's, it's still a, you know, a, a road that they're on, I think to, to get to, but um, do you look at world's end as Joe and MJF? Is that the destination most likely for that pay-per-view? Um, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, unless they do it on TV. But I think, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing because it's certainly not going to be Wardlow. Maybe Wardlow seems more like the TV match. Who else is, or sort of like the dangling threads for MJF at the moment? Um, I mean, I mean, Wardlow and Joe are the key ones, and then beyond that, you've got this winner of the Continental Classic. They have not said Roderick. Um, yeah, but I don't see that being World's End. I mean, I do, I do see Samoa Joe being that one. And then the Continental Classic, which that's I'm only actually, six weeks away. So I mean that that would seem like you could announce that Wednesday, and it's not that far off till right. till we get there in Long Island, no less. Speaking of the uh, Continental Classic, we have some notes here from John Cena, who's uh, paying attention to the press conference. He says TK clarified for the Continental Cla- Classic, it is a round robin tournament, not single elimination. There's nobody allowed at ringside, no interference. Three points for a win, one point for a draw. He also clarified that the winner of the tournament will get all three titles. Um, but so clarifying that not not what Eddie said, which is that yeah, every- Eddie said he would be putting the titles up on the line in every match, which wouldn't make sense in a round robin tournament because the person at the end might not be making it to the final. So that makes more. That's right. what I thought is probably what he meant is that the at the end of the 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 road we will have the three belts presented to the winner of the tournament. Um, I'm also getting maybe seeing some some sort of conflicted um, discussion about whether or not the titles are actually going to be unified, um, meaning the ROH World and the New Japan Strong Title and this new one. So uh, I guess we'll find out with a bit more clarity um, soon. I'm thinking the winner is going to be wearing three belts. I don't think we're going to get one merged title together. Yeah, uh, we'll see. That would mean an elimination of belts. They they don't want to eliminate belts. You got to have all those replica belts to sell. Let's go on over to uh, the forum, and we'll start off with Cody from Maine. I love this show. Zero Hour set the stage perfectly with the MJF injury angle, harkening back to the best of Sunday Night Heat's usage before a pay-per-view, setting the tone of, you're going to miss out if you don't order this event. And the match itself had the structure of an Austin title defense in the Attitude Era. 
hijacked ambulance and all. I could say something about every match, but I'll leave it at this. Halfway through the show, I already felt it was great. Then the women's triple threat happened. Outstanding performances across the board with what will go down as one of the best women's matches of 2023 and one of AEW's best women's matches in history. But I still wondered if it would have the match of the year contender, the show-defining match like we've seen from other events. And my God, did we get it. Swerve is a star, and I don't know how they do it with everyone that's in the mix of the world title, including Osprey, after tonight. But Strickland deserves and has earned a big run. And Hangman, for my money, he's the modern Mick Foley. Nobody puts their body on the line more to sell the story of a program quite like him. We saw with the Moxley match earlier this year, just two of the very best with the performance of a lifetime. I mean, I would suggest Darby being in that conversation as well. But yeah, like Hangman definitely delivers in these style of matches. Let's go up next to Jordan from the Bronx, who says, Another high-quality AEW pay-per-view is in the books. Swerving Hangman brought me back to the Lucha Underground Hell of War match. The announcers were speechless during most of it. I couldn't fathom the amount of stuff that they did to each other. Swerve was sadistic. Hangman was unhinged. And oddly enough, the guy who pulled a break in and entering and threatened an infant won the match. I'm pleasantly surprised by that result. This should be the match that catapults Swerve into the main event mix. Max has a lot of challengers, but Swerve is arguably the biggest heel in the company. It's been short compared to other rivalries, but Hangman and Swerve is on my list for feud of the year. Two banger matches, great promo segments, intensity, home invasion. It had it all. Overall, an 8 out of 10 show. What's a little home invasion? I mean, the guy's a he's a really talented guy. <laughs> it should really be a requirement of every um, feud of the year. I mean, as I mentioned before, I, again, I really do feel like winning a match is not even like more important than being able to make the man bleed buckets. And again, I, I, if they're going to move on to the story, Hangman has enough to be able to say that I got my revenge. Jay from Colorado. Well, it finally happened. I had a complete and interrupted experience watching Full Gear at an AMC theater. No glitches, no blackouts, and best of all, they remembered to order the pay-per-view this time. And what a time it was. Something that AEW keeps doing time and again is promoting a card that sometimes looks so-so on paper and then delivering a banger of a show. Every match delivered, in my opinion, and my favorite match of the night happened to be the one I was looking forward to the least, the Golden Jets and Young Bucks. I also really enjoyed the main event angle, and there was a few times during the main event I actually thought Jay might win. Solid 8 out of 10 show for me. Now I'm off to watch the Las Vegas Grand Prix. It's happening as we speak. Let's go to Luke from Quebec, who says this was a really good show overall, but I'll say I was completely spent after Hangman and Swerve and could barely pay attention to the matches after. This should have been the world title match. The Adam Cole injury is unfortunate, but at this point, I really feel like the MJF and Cole story is keeping the world title hostage for an increasingly overbooked story that's going to be delayed for months. And was it even that hot to begin with? I fear they will keep the title on MJF at least until Cole comes back, and I think the crowd is already in the process of losing interest. Finish of the Tony Storm match was stupid, but the women's triple threat was really great. One of the best women's matches in AEW. The action was non-stop and they landed everything. Great work from all three, and good call putting the title on Julia, who's one of the hottest characters in, in the division, which sadly isn't saying much. All right, and the last word goes to Jake. Okay, in the grand scheme of things, definitely watchable as all pay-per-views, AEW pay-per-views are, but ultimately lacking in comparison to others. Hangman and Swerve was an instant classic. TBS match exceeded my expectations, but the rest of the card didn't have the sauce in one way or another. I think this is a decent show, but they're going to be wearing the audience out by running a pay-per-view like this every month. You're risking entering the WWE B-level PLE territory, and honestly, that's not somewhere you want to go at $50 a pop. Main event was a slog and dragged down by a stupid angle, but I already wrote that match off the second Cole showed up and claimed to take Jay White's spot. 
I wasn't too hurt by it, but I can see someone really looking forward to MJF and White being mad that it was hindered to a pointless injury angle. Not closing on a cliffhanger or devil appearance is definitely a choice, too. What a weird main event program. Once again, the most simple storyline of Hangman versus Swerve is the simple one. Simple, emotional investment, actual hatred, easy to digest and understand. And he gives us a C-plus show. Not as big of a fan of the show. Yeah, a lot of um, interesting reactions to a, a lot that they did on the show as well, of course. So uh, leave a comment either on the YouTube video or in the Post Wrestling Cafe or uh, anywhere you can reach us. So at Post Wrestling is where you can follow us on Twitter. And we want to thank you all for watching. Yes. On uh, tonight on the Post Wrestling Cafe, we've got a review of the Marvels with Rich Fan and WH Park. So go on over to postwrestlingcafe.com to catch up on their thoughts on the latest Marvel release and the state of Marvel. And then Sunday night, 8 Eastern, it's the NWA podcast with Nate Milton, Andrew Thompson and Chris Ely. So you can uh, catch catch them with all of their thoughts on the uh, the big news cycle in professional wrestling. And then Way and I are back Monday night, minutes after Raw with Rewind to Raw. So hit the subscribe button. Send send that choir into overtime at 2 in the morning so that Way can go to bed hearing hearing those. Uh, oh. those exactly. Uh, throughout his house. And uh, that's going to wrap it up. So thanks to everyone for tuning in late tonight for our full gear review. And we will talk with you on Monday night. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.